The hardest lesson we sisters in Christ have to learn is how to be joyful in the midst of pain and suffering, how to become one with Jesus in the storms of life. In order to, be, to overcome our difficulties and the storms of life believers face, it is necessary that we first understand the reason for those difficulties and afflictions. Without fully trusting and obeying God, we will never appreciate the reasons for our trials. We will simply see them as negative, meaningless negative dividends to serve with no purpose in our lives. We will never view them as significant agitations that keep us from enjoying life. The reality is God uses trials and difficulties to enhance, to grow, to strengthen our weakness and our faith. Trials will show God's uh, divine grace and his unconditional love upon us. They will produce the likeness of Christ in us, which are the divine dividends of faith added to our account. The truth is, trials, afflictions, and difficulties not only prove and demonstrate the greatest need of our Lord Jesus, but they also serve and are used by God to refine us, to purify our faith, to, to produce steadfastness, which will show us how to embrace active endurance and show persevering qualities, persevering qualities of strength in Christ Jesus through our faith in, in knowing his word. So the ultimate purpose of testing and temptations are not to destroy or afflict us in pain, but for us to depend, to trust, and to obey, and to grow in Jesus. We all have trials from time to time in our lives. They can be financial hardships caused by a loss of job, illnesses. It can be rejection, loneliness. It can be our families. They can be broken relationships. They can be our, our children. It can be a serious health problems, and it could be death of a loved one. When these things happen, Understandably, we often see only the negative side of the trials. They can discourage us, and they can make us want to jump ship. But James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Count it all joy. How can we be joyful about something that brings anguish, heartache, and pain? James is encouraging us to evaluate the way we look at trials. He calls us to develop a new and improved attitude and to look at our trials from God's perspective. First, we need to understand that the joy the world gives is not the same joy of the Spirit. Worldly joy or happiness comes and goes as far as the waves can, as fast as the waves hit the shore. The world's joy isn't something you can cling to when you've lost a loved one or when you're faced with an illness or financial difficulties. The joy of the Spirit, on the other hand, will always be with you as you go through your seasons of trial. The joy of the Spirit is like a bottom, bottomless well of water, living water. There's always an abundant supply in it. 
and it works in us and through us. Even in the darkest days, the storms of life threaten to overwhelm us, but God's joy is there and cannot be taken away from us. Sometimes we may not feel the Lord's presence, but he promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Our suffering is not an exercise of emptiness, as God has a purpose, and that purpose is always good. Maybe there are, maybe the afflictions or our trials or the things that we're going through are to purify us and grow us with the greater and deeper need for Jesus. Maybe his testing our endur- maybe he's testing our endurance and our devotion to him. Or God might be revealing his ongoing power in your trial. In our lives, we may never know the purpose of this storm here on earth. But we must trust God's ability to deliver us and to bring us the joy in our affliction and in our heartache. We can count it all we can count all things joy because God is working in the trial. Even in the most painful of our even in the most painful for our sanctification and ultimate glorification. We can count it all joy because I'm sorry, in in order for us to count earthly affliction joy, we must be heavily minded. In this world is not our home. When our lives are filled with sorrow and grief, we must look to the future, look to, the, look to heaven to find that joy that can soothe our troubled souls. To have joy, we must be looking to God and to the inheritance we have when we receive heaven. This is, this is what Jesus did. He was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12.2. We must realize that the suffering we endure in this life cannot compare to the joy that is laid up for us in heaven. But in the moment, at this moment, it's hard to keep our eyes on the promise, especially when we are in the midst of pain. It can easily consume us. Paul understood this. He suffered many trials. He was restricted under trying and harsh conditions. He knew what it meant to feel the pain. He knew his purpose. He knew he had to hold on to his hope in his suffering for that moment. But what he did is he compared it to his final destination. Revelations 21.4 tells us, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now that is our joy here on earth. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Romans 12.12 12 tells us, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in the tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And we know Romans 8.28, everything that happens to us is for that purpose. And we know that all good things, all good things, because what God gives us is good. No matter the heartache, no matter the pain, it is good. 
and it will all work together for the good to those who love God. We have to love him. We have to embrace him. I know trials are, are hard. I've had many in my life, and um, I couldn't do it without the, the driving force of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. So to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose, we are called for his purpose, not for our own, not for your friend's purpose, not your husband's purpose, but for God's purpose. James 1, 3, 4 tells us, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience has its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word patient here means the power to withstand hardship and stress and to have the strength of mind to endure, to stay with it. Because if we jump out of it, we're not going to know his purpose. The testing of our faith produces the power of our inner stamina required to patiently endure hardships and persecutions and to grow and profit the dividends of maturity. God does not want us to run away from our trials. He wants us to stay in it. He doesn't want us to jump out of the boat like Peter did. Once his eyes were off the Lord, that's it. He started sinking. He wants to show us how he and, his, and in his infinite mercy and love can turn our sorrows into joy. To endure is to stay under him and to rest in him. God doesn't replace sorrows because, because there are times of mourning and there are times for tears. But joy will come. But you can't, once again, you can't try to get out of it. You can't go to your friends and ask them to help you out or to um, try to um, talk you out of doing something or you shouldn't stay in that marriage or you shouldn't be, you know, you should go to that person and just tell them, you know, what, how you feel about them. That's not what he's saying. He's going to take care of it. He will stay with you in it. You just have to be still and know that he is God. Paul tells us to rejoice when we run into trials and problems because each time we do, we know they will help us develop patience. Romans 8.37 tells us, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He will take us through it. We are to, we are to fight the good fight of faith, lay a hold on eternal life to which we are called to have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are the walking Bible to those who don't know uh, or don't read the word. We are the walking Bible. Our faith is tested through trials, not produced by trials. Our trials reveal what faith we do have, not because God doesn't know, but that we will know and those around us will see it. When we go through trials, they are not meant to break us. They are not meant to weaken our faith. They are to draw us out from underneath ourselves so that he, God, can mature and strengthen and perfect us in his faith. 
to draw us near, to draw us to himself, to depend on his strength and show and show that we can withstand the trial and learn to grow in the Lord. Peter 1, 6-7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes through through it is tested by fire, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, to honor, and to glorify at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that what we want, girls? Ladies? Is it one, it's one thing to stand firm when life is good and when everything is going great. Our faith remains untested. But how do we react when God seems silent? We, we don't feel his presence when everything is falling apart, when we're, in deep fought, when we're in the deep of the fire and our lives are being shattered. What then? That's when, I'm sorry, that's when the trials of life truly test our faith and prove a chance to show our faith in Jesus, to know a steadfast endurance that will develop a spiritual fullness and mature and maturity in us when our when our confidence in Christ is proven unshakable through the fires of adversity then we can face our trials with hope and everlasting joy the joy in knowing that the trials of life will not separate us from the Lord and his fellowship colossians 1:10 through 12 that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, fully being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with his mighty, strengthened with, with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, the pers- Joseph is one, is one who gained dividends of maturity through his severe testing of faith. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he could not see the beautiful, life-saving outcome that God would accomplish through his years of suffering and his perseverance in Egypt. After his ordeal with Potiphar's wife, Joseph spent long years forgotten in prison, Eventually, God planned, God's plan came to fruition, and Joseph was raised up to the second most powerful position in Egypt. Through many trials and tests, Joseph learned to trust God. Not only did, he, not only did Joseph rescue his family and the nation of Israel for, from starvation, but he saved all, from, he saved all of Egypt, too. Joseph's faith had been tested through the trials, and perseverance finished its work. After coming through the trials victoriously, Joseph understood God's good purpose in all he had endured. Joseph was able to see God's sovereignty, sovereign hand upon him. Joseph spoke these words for forgiveness to his brothers. You, 
intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in saving many lives. God blesses those who patiently endure the testing and temptations, and afterwards they would receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So during when we go through these trials like Joseph did, many of us, I'm sure, have trial after trial after trial, you know, some big, some small. But it, as Joseph waited, you know, he, he didn't kick and scream and he didn't, um, you know, question God. You know, he just went through it. He stayed in it. He stayed with it so that he can see what his purpose was. And that purpose was to save many lives. Spurgeon writes, I have looked back, and when I read this, ladies, I want you to feel it. I mean, it was like I wanted to read it over and over. It just really touched my heart. And um, it reads, I have looked back at times of trial with the kind of longing not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. Isn't that so true? So, I mean, sometimes it's like you go through this, when I went through this uh, thing with my brother, and I know many of, I've told many of you my testimony on my brother, it was like, how did I get through it? You know, we're broken inside when we lose a loved one or when we're facing an illness. How did I get through that burning pain? How did I get to the next day? It was holding on to God like we did. We have to hold on to him like we do when we're suffering or when we're, you know, not feeling good. Even an illness, you know, can get us there. J.P. Phillips, J.B. Phillips writes, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into our lives, many of us, dear sisters in Christ, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. And you will find you have become a woman of mature character with the right source of dependence upon God. Divine dividends of a godly patience. James 1.5 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James is telling us to seek wisdom even well, right here. He's telling us to seek it when we're in trials, when we're going through troubles. But we're to seek, them, seek him for everything. We're to seek wisdom in everything. I know I sometimes go to my friends. I, I go to my family. I read books or 
I haven't gone to counseling yet. <laughs> I'm not saying that those things are bad or wrong to go there, but we always try other things before we try God, and we find out the hard way that it wasn't the right way. 1 Corinthians one twenty five. The foolish plans of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. This doesn't mean that God is foolish, and it doesn't mean that he's weak. It means that we can be foolish, and we can also be weak. Proverbs 2.10 tells us, For wisdom will enter your heart, and the knowledge will, fi- will fill you with joy. The knowledge of asking the Lord, that will fill us with joy. As women, we wear many hats in our homes. We are mothers to our kids. We're grandmothers to our grandkids. We are wives to our husbands. We cook, we clean, we run all the errands, and we do much more. So I would say we go through many avenues of life. With definitely, We definitely need wisdom from the Lord, especially when we're going through the hard times. We definitely need to call upon the Lord. Proverbs 17.22 tells us, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Proverbs 1.5 tells us, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. We must seek God's wisdom and, let, and get his learning and get his discerning so that we can continue our day. Because if we don't, we may end up making the same mistake over and over or going through the same trial over and over. Remember, we were created for his purpose, so we need to go to him in order to find our purpose. Proverbs 19.20 tells us, Get all the advice and instructions you can so that you will be wise for the rest of your life. And that's the Bible, right, ladies? The Word of God. Now, going before the Lord every day is wisdom for me. I have a two-year-old grandson, a nine-year-old grandson, and a 16-year-old grandson, and a mom who has dementia. So I have to go every day to receive my daily bread from the Lord. I need to receive his patience, his love, I need to receive the goodness and his gentleness. I need self-control because I can get a little crazy out there with my child, my grandchild. (laughs) So I need to get that self-control, which is divine dividends, which will bring the joy of the Lord in my heart. So every morning it is vital to get God's word. More dividends is trusting God's guidance for our daily bread. But why do we find it hard to ask for wisdom from God? Is it because there's conditions attached to it? Verse um, 6 through 7, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I I take medication. I I have MS. 
And one day, and they have to deliver it. I have to call them, and they have to deliver this medicine to my house, and it has to be refrigerated. And one day, they forgot to leave it at my door because they said it was too hot. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I need that medication. Um, you know, I, I had mixed feelings. A sister came by, and, you know, I was telling her, oh, I didn't get my medicine. Okay, but if that's what the Lord wants, okay, then I won't take the medicine, thinking this is what God wanted for me. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to be laid up. I don't want to be always tired. I don't want to be, you know, maybe I'll lose my legs. Maybe I'll lose the feeling of my hands. But that was in the back of my mind. So was I doubting? Yes, I was. I was doubting the Lord. And when I had gone through this and I finally told the Lord, you know what? I have to give it to you. It's in your hands, Lord. I, I didn't know what the outcome would have been. Um, but my medicine was delivered, and I was thankful that the Lord sent it to me. But what I failed to see was God working in my circumstances because I wanted the answer, like I wanted that medicine right away. I wanted to know, you know, what I didn't want to know how I would be without the medicine, though in my head and my lips I was saying, it's okay, I'm okay. I wasn't okay. <laughs> But there are times, if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have doubt. And the Lord knows this. God didn't ask people to pretend or to try to make up feelings of certainty. He meets you where you are, in your doubts, in your fears, in your uncertainties, and in your brokenness. We all know Thomas, Gideon, Sarah, Abraham, and Paul all doubted their calling. God chooses many of us that are not always excited to carry out his plan. We often fail to see the design that he has for us because we believe more in our own shortcomings than in his power, in his great power. But God in his time shows us his ways. He leads us eventually to the willingness to place all our faith without doubt in him placing all our trust in him, placing all our love upon him. And when we do this, that's the real joy that fills our heart. My question is to you, do you trust his method? Do you trust his timing? Do you trust his answer? And do you trust his heart? Verse 9 tells us, the lonely brother glories in exaltation, but the rich in humiliation, because as a flower of the field will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, than it withers the grass and its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so that the rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. Second Corinthians 6.10 tells us, our heart aches but we, are, we always have joy. We are poor, but we, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. As sisters in Christ, living in humble or lowly circumstances, we are to take that joy in our, in our true... I'm sorry. As sisters in Christ, 
living in humble and lonely circumstances, we are to take the joy and truly exalt that position in Christ. It's not about being rich in material things or in the things that fade away. The poor should be glad that the rich means nothing to God. Otherwise, they would, otherwise we would be considered unworthy. And the rich should be glad that money means nothing to God as well, because money can easily be lost or taken away. It's not the circumstances of this short, fading life that matters. It's the position we hold in life that comes, that is significant, that is eternal. The riches of eternity is what's going to last forever. Proverbs 22.2 tells us, The rich man and the poor man have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. God has no issues with having money. The problem comes when money has you. That's when temptation becomes real, when the love of money overtakes you. Chuck Smith writes this, When we are poor, we don't have a problem putting our trust in the Lord. We go to him in our needs of our daily bread. We go to him and ask for our provisions. When we are poor, we have no place to go. We are determined to depend upon the Lord and our needs from him. And during this time, we will experience the richness of God, the godliness of God, and we will see his faithfulness. And it is during these times that we experience his spiritual growth. Every year, every year, you know how we get our med- our medical insurance. Um, well, my medical insurance changed this year, and you know, so we had to talk to a consultant about you know which would be better. And one of the insurances that I had to had to get, they didn't pay for my medication, and my medication is three. $3,000 up front, and the total year amount is 31000 So I didn't have that kind of money. So again, here I'm, same medicine. Again, I'm worried, you know, like I should have learned from the first one with the medicine, you know, how God came through for me. And um, I didn't know what to do because I didn't have $3,000 to give. And... I had to look somewhere else, you know, to try to see if I can get this medicine. Well, this lady called, and she said, I can get you the medicine for free. And I'm like, what's the catch? You know, okay, what's going to happen? You know, what do I need to do? You know, what do I need to sign up for? But um, she she was an insurance agent, and she said no. She goes, we're going to call the company and we're going to tell them, you know, that you simply can't afford this and you, you need it. Let's do it. So me and my husband prayed like, okay, Lord, you know, this is you. you know, I, I was nervous because, again, you know, money is just, I just didn't have it. And um, answered all their questions. And within 10 minutes, it's yours for free every month. Every month for free, every month until 2025. And then, you know, when the new insurance comes out, we'll see what happens. But, oh, my gosh. Like, 
it just reminded me of the poor widow, you know, in First Kings seventeen nine. You know, she had her financial woes. She was making her last meal for her and her son. And she had no hope. She had no joy. But who did God send? He sent Elijah, and he caused a miracle. He gave her endless flour and endless oil. So the, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide all our needs. You know, he is the God who provides all things. God will use anybody... We just need to believe. We just need to have the faith and the power. And let, and, and let go of our worries and our doubts and experience the true dividends of faith. Psalm 75, 75 I am poor and needy. Make no haste to me, O God. You are my helper and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And he doesn't. As sisters in Christ, our true wealth is found by developing our spiritual life, not by developing our financial assets. The only investment we need to gain are our dividends in the growth of faith, endurance, and patience, and godly wisdom. 1 Timothy 6, 6, 12. But godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who... Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped and are into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruins and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered off the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you women of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you were made, when you made your good confession and presented again to many witnesses. Psalms 37, 16 tells us, better the, better the little that are righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Jesus said, to tell you the truth, it is harder for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, is money a bad thing? No. 1 Timothy 6.17 tells us, 6.17-19, Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. He who gives richly, he who gives richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willingly to share, 
storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold in eternal life. I believe God makes it clear that if you're in the position where you are blessed and you and your loved ones and you you have the money, enjoy it. He tells you it is the fruit of your labor. So you need to enjoy it, but also, you know, he tells you to be gentle with it. (laughs) Psalms 128.2 tells us, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Sorry, ladies. James 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We could say blessed is the woman, the Christian woman who does not give up under trials or the pressures, for when she is tested, she will stand the test of time. She will show genuine faith. She will receive the crown of life. The crown of life, the crown of life, Jesus gives this crown of the crown of life to those who persevere under the persevere in faith through temptations, tribulations, and persecution. The crown of life is a reward for a life well lived. These are dividends gained in obedience. So let no one Verse, nine, verse 13, so let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor, de- nor does he himself te- tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin then grows up and brings forth death. God simply allows trials to come into our lives to test us, and it's Satan who brings the temptation. It's like if you were in financial difficulties and you needed money, and someone said, hey, can you sell these things for me? And you're like, well, okay, don't ask any questions, and you can gain some money, but you get caught because you find out they're stolen items. It wasn't God who brought the stolen items to you. It was Satan. It was the enemy. It's easier for us to, it's easier for all of us to feel we are only the ones being tempted with with evil through the desires. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 13, no temptation has overtaken you that you cannot overtake you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus himself wrestled with temptation. The only difference is he never buckled under the pressure of Satan. We too can resist the lies of temptation from the enemy, but not on our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us shield against Satan and his schemes. We need the whole armor of God. We need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, 
the shoes with preparation of the gospel of peace. We need the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need it all, ladies, not just some of it. Like Pastor Joe always says, we have to fully put on the armor of God. It is fellowship with the Holy Spirit that produces in us the fruit of self-control, which gives us the ability to say no when we are tempted. And while self-control is a divine dividend, resisting temptation should never be the focus of saying no to Satan, but rather it should be our heart's desire to say yes to God, to have a heart that loves and seeks to be able to be obedient and to please him. That's our joy, to stay strong in the faith and to know the difference. Satan's temptation is an invitation to destroy our faith and the, destroy our faith, and the test is God's invitation to strengthen our faith and stand in confidence, knowing without God we can do nothing, and with God all things are possible. We must submit ourselves to the Lord, so and resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Profit gain, dividends of self-control. James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, and with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought, for, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be kind, that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creation. When I read that scripture, I was kind of taken back. I wasn't sure like what James was telling us. And what he was saying is, don't make a mistake. Don't be caught up in the lust of things. Don't be caught up in the sins that are out there or what people are telling you to do. And because everything that is not of God will lead to tragedy or will lead to death. But everything that is good comes from God. Every perfect gift comes from God. If you're gifted with a beautiful voice, our worship team um, comes from God. If you have great talent in design, comes from God. If you're a great student, a hard worker, it comes from God. These gifts are from God and not of ourselves. But the greatest gift is God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In him, there is no variation. He's never moody, thank God. He doesn't have good days or bad days, and he's always good. He is always faithful, even when we're faithless. He gives nothing but good gifts, for he is a good father, and that is joy. He brought us forth by this world, by the truth of the word. We are his prized possession. Like the scripture says, we are his um, masterpiece, his workmanship. I think that is so neat. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce right, the righteousness of God. 
James is telling us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can make things right in the your anger cannot make things right in the sight of God. Lack of listening combined with lack of self-control in your speech can lead to an ill-tempered action, which means just a total chaos. Proverbs 10:19 tells us the one who talks much will be sure to sin, but he who is careful with his words is wise. And then uh, the NIV tells it this way, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. (laughs) That's what it says. I was like, I don't know if I should say that. (laughs) According to Solomon, continuous talking leads to sin. The point is that a wise person knows when to stop talking. In fact, when in doubt, it's better not to say anything at all. Proverbs 16.24 tells us, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy to the body. Verse 20, The anger of a man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Angry people displease God. We serve a holy God, a righteous God, who wants his people to imitate his righteousness. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us, For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. We should always try to conduct our lives by the will of God, according to his standard, not the standards of the world. I don't think this world has any standard, right, ladies? I mean, now you can't even go and you know walk your children and the news, you see ladies, you know, walking their kids, a grandfather walking his child, the babies are in a stroller, and people are just coming up and hitting them or pushing them, and it's, it's just really sad. It just, just makes me wonder. This angry world has taken away so many people's joy by putting fear in, in their lives. They're... In other words, oh, I got lost. Okay, by putting fear in their lives. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. This is what the world has, a lot of wickedness. And receive the meekness and implanted word which is able to save your soul. This is what the world needs. It needs to have the joy of the implanted word, God's word. You know, Pastor uh, Tony had once said we need to ransack our hearts. We need to let God ransack our hearts. And, you know, I, I love that. I, I just think we should every day come before the Lord and ask the Lord to clean us out. I mean, it, from day to day, you know, we're, we're polluted by this world. And I believe that if we come before the Lord, like he says every day, and just confess, you know, confess, we're not perfect ladies. You know, we do a lot of things wrong. We say a lot of things wrong. Um, give it to him at the end of the day or right when it happens, when the spirit has convicted you, give it to him. Get it out. It's like you don't want to put on these dirty, filthy clothes. You don't want to put them back on. So when you, when you know that's happening, when you're feeling that conviction, confess it. 
Give it to the Lord. Let him fill you with his word. Be rooted and grounded in his word. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, the word, be- the word becomes to me a joy and a delight to my heart. My heart loved them. My heart was leaping with joy over your word. Let God's word sink deep into your soul that the joy may be full in the blessings to come from the loving from loving him and obeying him, our Lord Jesus. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. <laughs> James is urging us to prove ourselves to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Reading and understanding is not enough. We are to learn we are we are to learn God's word by doing and obeying his word, to increase the holiness and be Christ like, to add more dividends of spiritual maturity to our account. We shouldn't just hear the word of God to get information, but for it to be, bring transformation and to change us inside out to live obedient to the Lord and to be blameless, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be proved what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So do not deceive yourselves in thinking, if you just hear the word of God, that's good enough. You're wrong. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing himself in the mirror. mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was or what kind of woman she was. The hearer is a person who is, who is an unconcerned listener of God's word. She is someone who looks carefully at herself, but when she walks away, she forgets what she sees. It's like when we look in the mirror, and the mirror's our friend, ladies, right? <laughs> Sometimes. We do a quick uh, once-over, right? When we leave the house, we look at our hair, we fix it, you know, we check our makeup, see if our makeup's on right. But if you see lipstick on your teeth and you walk out the door and don't wipe it off, what's the sense of looking in the mirror, right? That's the same thing with going to church. That's the same thing about hearing God's word. We hear it, we have the lipstick, but we don't wipe it off. The, the word of God does not penetrate our heart. The mirror is not there to, to fix the problem. The mirror is there to show us the problem. <laughs> How sad. Okay, there's a great warning to those who are just hearers of the word. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We are to grow beyond listening, ladies. You're hearing the word of God, but it's not penetrating the heart. Like Pastor Joe says, it's here, but it doesn't come here. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, is one who will be blessed in what he does. She is like the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and she holds it close to her heart in obedience. She doesn't forget about it, but she acts on it. She will, she's the one who will have the joy. She's the one who will hear with true faith. And she's the one who will be eager to learn God's word. She's the one that will be blessed. John 8, 31, 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful in my teaching, and you will know, and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. That is, the joy, that is the joy of true freedom in Christ Jesus. And I'll close with this. The Word of God is not just a beautiful piece of information to be savored or enjoyed. It's to profit us in the divine, in the divine dividends of faith and spiritual maturity. It is to grow us in the fruits of the Spirit. And when I say these ladies, I know we hear them all the time. But when I say them, the fruits of the Spirit, I want you to repeat them after me. And I want you to feel what God is showing you. Because these are his fruits. These are the fruits that, through his word, that we will gain when we're obedient, when we're patient, when we're loving, when we endure, when we can go through trials, when we're not tempted or we fight temptation, but we come out victoriously. These are the dividends that we gain to help us grow in the Lord, that we will be complete and lacking nothing. So the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what it feels like to be in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you, Lord, and Father, there is just so much, so much to to glean from, Father God, and I pray, Lord, that. You touch the ladies, Father God, with your word, Lord. Father, that you are here, Father God, to bring us that joy, that heavenly joy, Father God, when things are not going our way, Father. So, Father, I pray that the ladies will know how much you love them, Lord, 
how much you want them to call upon you. Father, that you never are moody. You never have a bad day, Father. So there's no reason, Lord, for us not to come to you. So, Father, be with my sisters here tonight. Fill them with your love. Fill them with your joy. Give them the patience that they need, Father God. Father, I pray that you bless them as they go home, Father God, that you would give them traveling mercies, Father God, that you would be with their families throughout the week, Lord. Father, that you would cover them in all that you do, Father, in all that they do. I love you and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.